0: Good morning, church family. It is always great to be at Celebration Church. Got that right, didn't I? You thought I'd miss that. I didn't miss I didn't miss your renov- renovations that you've done around here. It's beautiful, but even more beautiful is the fact that you're here. Even better than all of that, that God is here. That God is with us. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for your longtime support. You guys are some of my favorites, right? Don't tell the other guys, but um, you really are. I always enjoy coming here, being with you, and um, if you want the absolute shortest version of today's message, I'll give it to you in two words at the end of the sermon. No. <laughs> I just made that one up. No, it's just just pray. We're going to talk about prayer, the absolute importance of prayer. You guys are givers, but even more than what you give is if you will donate your prayer, if you will give of your time in prayer. That is so absolutely important. And Many of, many of you I've known for just years, decades, actually. I've been coming to this church for more than two decades. Imagine that. Um, in 1999, I left my job in Spokane and um, went to Hungary and went to start in-state in the Hungarian and Russian languages. And at the time, I thought that was a great assignment. I didn't know what that even meant. In-state, what is in-state? In-stays discipleship leadership training where you don't have to go away to a college but rather that it comes to you you study at home you have mentoring you have group small group involvement it is just for me the best way of learning and so to be able to start that program in the hungarian and russian languages seemed like a great thing and it was a great thing it is a great thing and it's something that god is using we have um expanded and are using InStay in Romanian, we are using InStay in Ukrainian language. We also one two two and a half languages, I can't even tell you about where um, some of the, the church is some of the most persecuted places in the world. InStay has been able to get into there and I've been able to be a part of those teams and all of that. And it has just been a great way to spend your life, be expended. Um, I love that I, though, live in Ukraine, have lived in Ukraine for more than 20 years with the Ukrainian family. I'm single. Um, you know, I live with a family because I appreciate community. I appreciate the family atmosphere. And they are my family, you know, after 20 years. it's. Their family with me, and so I live with Ukrainians. I work with Ukrainians. I go to church with Ukrainians, and so pretty, pretty. My life is pretty embedded. I, my sister, says to me, she's like, "You're not really American anymore. You're just kind of a mixture of." Back in my 20s, I was in Japan, so I've got just all these, this messed up head, I guess. But um, culturally, you know, I love Ukraine. They are my people. And so you can imagine when, you know, the last nine months they've been talking about impending war, the the enemies on the borders, are they going to come in? And we're like, nah, they're not. Because actually, for the last eight years, we've been in war, right? In the eastern part of Ukraine, um, in the southern part. And you get used to it. It's sad to say you get used to it. Can you imagine? But this year was a little different, and it looked quite serious. And so towards the end of February, I was evacuated uh, by Open Bible. And then shortly right after that, then the war did begin. And I have to say, it was one of the most traumatic incidences of my life. And you're like, what? You got to be in a safe place? How can that possibly be traumatic? It was, it is. To watch what's happening from afar to my friends, to my family, to our in-stay students who are scattered all over the country um, has been traumatic. So in June, I got to go back to Poland, which is right on the border of Ukraine. Because you see, there are millions of Ukrainians have left and gone through Poland. We went to Krakow. Krakow is a beautiful city of 700,000 people. And today, there are like over 320,000 Ukrainians there flooding that city. In that city, six months after war has begun. It's kind of the closest city To Ukraine. They're just poised. They've left, but they're poised to go home whenever it becomes safe enough. And honestly, six, the statistic is over six million of 36 million Ukrainians have left Ukraine. Um, And so a lot of them are in Poland. But so we were there. We were there to see what our partners are doing because we have a United prayer for Ukraine. We also have, we're sending money to help them. So what are we doing? How are they doing? What are our partners doing there? And I have to tell you, we just saw the best things there. In a tragic situation, we saw the best of the gospel. We saw the church taking people in, helping them, giving them food, giving them counseling, giving them help to get their kids in school, getting them housing, getting them jobs, giving them help and hope in their most difficult times of their lives. It was absolutely beautiful. We saw humanity at its best, too, because we saw the Polish people. Imagine your country just being overrun with immigrants. Um, You can think what you want to about America, but it's like they've been absolutely overrun in Poland with people in desperate situations who left with the clothes on their back with one suitcase, who left with, because bombs were all around them. 90% of those people leaving were women and children. Why? Because martial law means men who are ages 18 to 60 cannot leave. You have to stay, be ready to defend the country, stay there and work and um so 90 percent of the people are women and children and um so the polish people though they've taken in people they've donated things they've gone from their country sending things back into ukraine Uh, also the ukrainians there we interviewed them and you'll see some videos i hope you'll be able to see the videos that are coming back coming out in the next few weeks, literally. Uh, look for them, interviewing them, and them talking about, I'm better when I'm helping someone else. So even in their time of trauma, they're there volunteering, helping their fellow Ukrainians. And I'll, t- I'll tell you a story. So it was a great and wonderful thing to, to see. But as I've said, it's been difficult for me to watch from afar. I think it's painful for all of us to have watched from afar. Um, Everywhere I go, random people will talk to me about Ukraine and people who don't pray are praying for Ukraine, you know. They're praying, they see the injustice, they see all of that. Um, So I'm home for a few months and, um, you know, rather than just curl up in a ball <laughs> and be all traumatized in my own self, right? Because I left because of what's happening, because of, you know, the injun I mean, our reactions to that are, we can we can just go inside of ourselves. but I'm a person of mission. We all are people of mission, right? But it's like, what am I here for? And so I'm here to talk to you about this. I'm here to more than just give you a personal face to the story, a personal face to the war in Ukraine. I'm here to awaken you to the responsibility of prayer. I'm here to, to get you to have focused prayer for Ukraine, fierce and fervent prayer. Okay, we're gonna talk about what kind of prayer we need. And you know, if you say pray for Ukraine, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, how do you pray? How, how do you pray? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you with that, all right? So we're gonna have a few prayer points here, but I want you to, to keep in mind and remember fierce and fervent prayers for Ukraine. That's what we want. And first point, we're gonna pray for the children. We have a video, quick video here I want you to watch. So that little little boy, Mark, I mean, his story just touched my heart. You know, that was the early days of Ukraine. He's from Kiev, and he left with his mom, um, left dad behind because his dad is of fighting age. And they're leaving not knowing where they're going. He thought he'd have to walk all the way to the border of Ukraine. I mean, it's hundreds of miles he didn't know. And his story is just one of millions of Ukrainian children whose lives, the trajectory, actually, the trajectory of their lives have been forever altered, forever. As children leave with their mothers going into Europe, not everyone is good, not everyone is kind, not everyone has pure motives, heightened risk of human trafficking. Um fully two-thirds of Ukrainian children are not living in their homes. Some of them have left the country, but others have left the eastern regions, or now even the southern regions, and have moved to other regions in Ukraine. Ukraine's the land size of Texas, all right? So it's a big country. So something that's happening happening in the far east there, you can you can travel few hundred miles, and you're in a safer place. So, but millions of them are not living in their homes, and even that likely having consequences that can last for generations. But with all the sad news, this brings a great opportunity for the Gospels. Believers are scattered. Right, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that is scattered. And what happens? Mustard seed is actually, as I understand it, a weed, and it's something that grows really quickly and really fast, and is like just it grows in these conditions. Right? What I've seen on social media is our in-state students are in uh, Poland, Hungary, um, Italy. Netherlands, Germany, places like this. And what, are they, what have they been doing the last six months? They've been getting their kids into schools, they've been figuring out their lives, but they've also been gathering people, gathering other Ukrainians, forming churches, sharing the gospel. People are in desperate times. The gospel is the good news. And so just like mustard seed being scattered you know the gospel is being scattered and there's fruit there's fruit in this we're grateful how can we say we're grateful for the scattering but we are right do you see the purpose in that it's it's a tragic situation but in it god is god is building up the kingdom of god so pray for children pray for the women pray for split up families pray for the opportunity of the gospel Point number two, pray for the trauma. I talked about going to Poland, and I knew I'd see it, but I was shocked to see the trauma in everyone's eyes. We'd meet Ukrainians, listen to their stories, and we were there to put their stories on video, right? But there were some stories I wouldn't, you know, I'd talk with these women, but I wouldn't, asked them to then put their stories on videos because it was so, so, so traumatic. Um, Tanya was one lady, and she lived in the southern part of Ukraine. And the bombs were getting close. The The fighting was getting close. And they had a family, and <clears throat> she said, we couldn't stay, but we couldn't leave. There was no open corridor. It was enemy-occupied territory. They wouldn't let them leave. The Red Cross couldn't get them through, the UN couldn't get them through, and so finally a bunch of them just got together and said, okay, tomorrow night we're getting in our cars, stuff your cars with people and your stuff and we'll go. And someone you know, had a plan for how they'd all get out, 20 cars leaving under the cover of night, not going, she talked about going on the, the side roads and through fields, all of that. They were leaving, but somehow the enemy found out, and sent in missiles. And two cars were hit by missiles, and everyone in those cars died. And she told me her story. And as she was telling me, I could see that she was replaying it in her head. And the trauma is great. The trauma is great. Family that I live with, uh, the husband and wife, were able to come out from Ukraine to Poland for a couple of days to see me there. And they're strong Christians. They're pastors. They're people who know how to pray. But they said to me, everyone, all of us are going to need some help through this trauma. They said, you know, as like we were at a restaurant and someone dropped their keys on the table and they just, the reaction was too much. The trauma is great. Yet even in that, um, we know that the balm of the Holy Spirit can help bring restoration into their lives. And so, as we pray for Ukraine, as we pray for Ukrainians, pray against, pray for that trauma. Um, Talk with them twice a day. I wake up in the really, really early morning and talk. See how things are going. Um, sometimes we talk for a short time. Sometimes we talk for a long time. Sometimes they're under air raid warning, and we talk in whispered tones because you know they've got the windows all blacked out, and they're just waiting to to hear that missile coming across or not. Fortunately, the family that I live with, um, the area has only been struck a few times. Um, and their their village, their area doesn't look like that destruction that you've seen on TV. They're fine. They're in an OK area. Um, The church that I attend, everyone in the church chose to stay. No one left. Their tr- our church was about 35 people. No one left. The choice to stay, the choice to leave, has both been difficult um, trauma. With time, the enemy has started hitting non-military sites just to terrorize and to To be honest, it has been working. People are afraid. You know, it's hard to keep your wits about you. Last week was an especially horrible week, Independence Day, Flag Day, and the news was the enemy promised to make Armageddon for them. And so Tuesday and Wednesday was difficult. They had the most missiles coming in, the most air raid sirens, rather, coming in, in the whole six months, um, but Ukraine is still standing, and Ukraine is still believing for victory. Um, cities are occupied by the enemy. We have eight open Bible churches who are in enemy-occupied territories. Some of them have been there for fully eight years. They have been working with this, with under these conditions. Others, it's new. Um, won't you pray? If it was if it was celebration church that was under enemy occupation wouldn't you want your brothers and sisters to pray? I think we would. So pray for traumatized people. Point number 3, pray for the humanitarian disasters and emerging humanitarian disasters. Now the video you're going to see is in a place called Mariupol. It's in the far southeastern part. That city, a city of 420,000, has been reduced to 10,000 people. So many people left. Um, 95% of the infrastructure has been um, destroyed. There's no fresh water, no food. It's truly a horrible situation. I've been to this place dozens of times. We've had hundreds of in-stay students in this area when they show the drone shots of Mariupol like I've driven on that street. And I'm like, oh yeah, if you just go here, here. I mean, it's like, it's, it's not my backyard, certainly. It's very far from where I live. But we've had hundreds of in-stay students there. We had an open Bible church there. Most of the people got out. The pastor there can tell you where most of his people are But there's also a question about where the others are. The UN estimates that um, half a million children have been forcibly deported. Um, 1.6 million people have been forcibly deported, put into filtration camps. Their documents taken away from them, their phones taken away from them, they don't have They don't have any rights. They have a right to stay in this one one city and not leave there. Um, It's war, I know. And can you say in church, war is hell? I mean, it is. Um, Wheat and corn are being stolen by the enemy. Food is being weaponized. Um, The nuclear power plant, I mean... Ukraine is where Chernobyl was 30 some years ago, right? So they know what nuclear disaster is. And so the enemy has come in, taken over the nuclear power plant, and is wreaking havoc there. So I have fully depressed myself by now. (laughs) I'm sure you guys are like, please stop it. So there are good stories too, right? There are. And um, let me tell you this story. It's about um, in a place north of Kiev when Kiev was under siege. And so the air raid sirens go off. And no matter where you are, then you go to a bomb shelter. You go to somewhere safe. And this happened. And this one man who was telling the story said they went. They went. When they came back out, his car was just, like, gone. I mean, the area had been burned, and his car was gone. But over in this other area, the cars were untouched. And there was a car there that had um, the keys in, not in, the ignition, in the door. So he kind of stood by that car, waited, waited, waited. About an hour and a half. After an hour and a half, he did what any good man would do. He stole the car, went home, got his family, and they headed west because their area was under siege. He went and saved his family. When they got all the way to their destination, wherever that was, he saw in the glove compartment there was uh, a note that had a name and a phone number. I was like, "Um, probably the owner, what do you do in this situation? Well, he called the owner and he said, so um, did you have a, you know, name the kind of car? Yes. He said, I stole the car. And the man said, no, you didn't. He said, I had four cars and it was very bad in our area that they were all from. He said, I went and filled up the gas tanks of all the cars, put them in three different areas, hoping that someone would steal the cars, get their family to a safer area and he and so he was like but wait he says here tell me where you're at and I'll come give you the car and he says no when we win the war we'll get together we'll celebrate but until then use the car it's yours and so you know the the human spirit even in bad times really is a beautiful thing many times our open bible people are In their place, uh, so let me tell you about some people in Lutsk. They are in the northwestern part where it's relatively safe. They are taking the offerings that we have given and buying tarp, sending their young people to the very far eastern part where the bombing has gone on, where people wouldn't leave their homes. And you say, why wouldn't people leave? Not everyone has a car. And when it's all that you have, how do you leave all that you have? Yes, it's only things, but you're very tied to your place. And um, they didn't leave, and their house has been maybe ruined, but their shed is a little more livable. But so our Open Bible people are going to those places, taking them humanitarian aid, taking them food, um, and putting tarps on their roof so that they can... They can live in their, at least in their shed, whatever. We're building houses, um, helping them to do these things. They're leaving their places of safety and going to those other places to serve people, to share the love of Jesus, to be the church, right? Be the church. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I've told you already about our Open Bible people, our in-state students, starting churches in the Netherlands, in Germany, in Hungary, in these places where they have been scattered to. They're not just there um, on their own, but they're sharing the gospel. We're grateful for that. And so you probably are thinking, well, I mean, I hope you're not, but some of you might be thinking, You know, when will she quit talking about Ukraine, you know, right? Because Ukraine's very far, right? So it's like, what does this mean to me? How does this even apply to the rest of us? Well, Ukraine has a physical war. You can see it. You watch it on the news. You can, you know, find it on YouTube. But what about you? What about yourselves? What about your family? What about your neighbor? You too may have a battle raging in your lives, in your it maybe is feels like a war at times in your marriage, in your health, in your finances, your sons, your daughters, an addiction. I don't know what it is, but we all have these battles and these wars. And whether it be on a real battlefield, where there are missiles coming in, or whether it is in your your personal life, um, our battles have a spiritual element. And Ephesians 6:12 says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirit, and evil spirits in heavenly places, first and foremost, our battles do have a spiritual element that must be won in the heavenlies. And that only comes by prayer. That only comes by prayer and fasting. And our reactions to our battles, I mean, some of our reactions are, it's just like, I'm done. I'm not going to fight. I'm going to just get into that fetal position. I'm not going to you know, la la la, this is not my life. And that <laughs> that is something that I think we want to feel like. Or right? we want to just just check out and say, that's not my life. But as believers, I believe that we need to be people who are engaged in the battle with our fierce and fervent prayers. And so you say, you know, how do we engage? How do we do that? You know, how do we just really pray? Some some ways that we can do that, a few ideas are found in Galatians 6.2. It says to bear one another's burdens. So when there's a battle raging in your friend's life over here, do not, you know, stay close. Don't run away from that battle. Be, be someone who will hook up your shield to the partner to your partners, to your friends, to your neighbors. Carry your share of the burden. Romans 12, 15 says, weep with those who weep. Don't disconnect from the emotion. Um, War is sad. There are many, many sad things happening, horrific things. It's okay to feel sad about it, it's okay to feel Enraged about it, um, but let that emotion drive you to your knees. Romans 15:30. Paul says, "Join me in my struggle by praying for me." Pray for real people. You hear some of these stories. You hear something on the news. You see someone being interviewed. Pray for that person. Pray. Pray for real people. Pray for our open Bible people. Pray for our in-state people. But pray for real people. You know, um, we may not have boots on the ground in Ukraine, but I think that our position, our battle position, must be knees on the ground, must be people of prayer. The battles, first and foremost, do have that spiritual element That must be won. Now, listen to me carefully. I'm going to ask you how to, or tell you how to pray for Ukraine. I want you to pray for victory. And you're like, oh, look at that. The missionary got political. No, she didn't. All right? Because I'm not against, I'm not against the Russians. But I am against the demonic spirit behind that war. I'm behind the war, the spirit of genocide and death and destruction that is there. Now, do you just pray that it would just kind of go underground? No. When we have battles in our own lives, how do we pray? Well, I just pray that they get through the day. No, you pray for victory over this, don't you? Because... That is what must happen. This is a physical battle, yes, and it is horrible. But we must pray for victory over this. We have lived in Ukraine for eight years with this demonic, raging spirit of war. And now it's only intensified even more. So pray for victory. So, am I naive to suggest that prayer is even important? I honestly have had people say, Well, Tammy, come on, this is a war. Your prayers are going to be a little short. Shame on us if that's what we think. We are people of faith. God of the Bible is not dead. The Holy Spirit is alive in our lives. It should be flowing in and through us. Powerful prayers must come from our lips. Prayer does make a difference. Yes, God is sovereign. God decides. God is over it all. And I want to say, how does even any of this fit into his plan? But I am not God. I am not omniscient. But he is omniscient, he is omnipotent, and he is able, he knows all things, and yet and he sees the end from the beginning and and yet he says, "Ask me." He says, "Bring your request before me." He doesn't say, "Well, I've got it all figured out, so you know." Just be quiet. No, he asks us to bring our requests before him. It's those voices in our heads that mess with us, don't they? Say that our broken marriage will never be repaired. Our son will never return to God. Or whatever that battle is in your life. It says it won't make a difference. Those negative voices, those stinking military experts who on TV say, well, eventually, Ukraine will, they're they're not going to say the right answer, right, for me. I Turn them off. Why? Because military experts could never, never have predicted that when God's people were hemmed in, Pharaoh's army was chasing after them, they were here, the rocks or the mountain, whatever it was, they're in this area, the Red Sea, ahead of them. Can you imagine them on your favorite TV station, whatever one that may be, them saying, well, you know, it looks bad for them, but I think God's going to open up the Red Sea. They will walk through on dry ground, and then Pharaoh's army will be drowned by those same waters. They couldn't have predicted that. Why? Because they're not people of faith. That's not militarily compact. I mean, you can't, you can't plan that kind of thing What about David and Goliath? Of course not. I mean, the army or the the armor didn't even fit him. What about Gideon and his ever-shrinking army with the ammunition, the the battle gear that they had? What was it? Jars, torches, and ram horns? that sounds like a great strategy no one would have predicted because they do not figure in god we are people of faith we can ask we can say god just like you did with gideon be there help them do this god is not bound by man's understandings or predictions be people of faith. Don't just throw up like, okay, like confetti or glitter, right? You know, you throw it up and say, God, I hope you can catch some of that. You know, it's like, no, I mean, we don't throw up those kind of prayers. God grabs onto our prayers. God grabs us in prayer be people of faith who will not just pray. I'm asking you to go beyond just praying. I'm asking you to pray and believe. There's a difference. There is a difference. Pray and believe for victory, whether it be the war in Ukraine, whether it be the war in your life, in your son's life, in your daughter's life, in our country. Don't be ambivalent. Don't be silent. Have faith in the God of the unexpected, God of the impossible. Be people of faith.